0: As I said, at the outside of the service, we're very pleased to have Robert Hamilton with us. Robert currently is a member of Scrabo Hall, and uh, he and his family are well known here in the Crescent. He and Robert's children are married to each other. Robert was one of the elders doing the baptism here, so we'll hand over the rest of the service to you. Thanks, George. Uh, Great to be with you this evening. There's something just very powerful, isn't there, about baptisms? Uh, It's an emotional moment an exciting moment, and uh, just seeing God at work and transforming people's lives. Now, you've had a very good and useful explanation about baptism and what that is. What I'm going to try to do with you over the the next two and a half hours is... I know you were thinking about the the tray bakes and the cups of tea there, weren't you already? Yeah, what I want to do with you over the, the time that's remaining, let's put it like that, is to... Have a look at baptism as an antidote to the disappointments of life, okay? Now, what I mean by that is the newness of life that baptism represents as an antidote to the disappointments of life. And I hope as we go through this and look at it together, it will become clearer to you what I mean by that. You all know, of course, or I'm taking it that you know what an antidote is, um, a couple of years ago, three years ago in fact, I went on a missions team to Malawi, the Sanji district of Malawi, which is the region of Malawi that has been hit by the recent cyclone. It's right down in the south of Malawi. It's actually uh, completely surrounded by uh, Mozambique. But of course before we went on this mission trip, we got this whole package with uh, the, sort of the risk assessment details all the things that could possibly go wrong and what the response would be if things did go wrong. And one of them, of course, they said, if you're bitten by um, a poisonous snake, uh, what you need to do immediately is go to the the medical box or the first aid box of the the mission team and get the antidote. The antidote being this treatment, uh, thankfully we never had to use it, but this treatment that in some way would counteract the toxic influence of the poison coming from the snake. And so when we're thinking about this tonight, baptism as an antidote to the disappointments of life, life does bring with it uh, disappointments, dissatisfaction, delusion, and the newness of life that baptism represents. I'm going to be suggesting to you tonight, and hopefully on the basis of Scripture, that that it's like an antidote against that. You know, life does throw some difficult stuff at us from time to time. Uh, And this new life in Christ is the antidote, if you like, that God has provided. And hopefully, this will become clear to you as we go forward this evening. Uh, It doesn't mean, and by that, I I don't want to say that as a Christian, there are no longer disappointments in life, by the way. Uh, Just because you come to faith in Christ, as these four ladies have done, does not mean in any way that you're immune from the difficulties uh, or the the dissatisfaction or the disappointments, put it like that, that life can throw at us. Uh, That does happen as well, of course, for believers and for Christians. But what I would be arguing tonight with you is this, that having placed faith in Christ, as these ladies have done and have testified to this evening, changes your whole approach to life, actually. And even when the difficulties and the disappointments of life do come, the new life that Christ has given us and the presence of the Holy Spirit within us actually changes our whole outlook towards life. You know, uh, I think that if we were all honest, life does bring disappointments to us. Life does bring difficulties to us. There is a sense, I think, in every human being of dissatisfaction. There is a sense of longing for more, longing for something better. Can you identify with that? That even when life is going smoothly, there seems to be a sort of inbred discontentment within us. I had an experience, uh, I think it was 12 years ago. Uh, I, I have five grown-up children And that's quite a big family by today's standards. Now, there are advantages with that. One of the advantages for us was that when we were 25 years married, which was 12 years ago, they were all working by that stage and they clubbed together and they bought us a cruise. That is good. It was nearly worth having five kids just for that. (laughs) So they clubbed together and buy us this. It was a Caribbean cruise. Now, bear in mind, at that time I was a missionary. Missionaries don't do cruises normally, so I'm thinking, whoa, cruises is a bit awkward, actually. But I soon got over the awkwardness, actually. (laughs) It was brilliant. I mean, it really was brilliant. It was a holiday of a lifetime. But I do remember one particular occasion in the middle of the Caribbean. Picture the scene. It's one of these luxury cruise ships. The most I had been on before was like a wee ferry that went out from Naples to the islands off the coast to give out tracks. That was about the most I had been on a cruise before. So I'm sitting there, the sun's shining down in the Caribbean. The sea is like glass. I'm just chilling and enjoying it. And suddenly I noticed within me a sense of Is this it? Is this what is this the best life couldn't offer? Now don't mistake me, it was good. But even at that, strangely enough, there was still a sense of, is there something more than this? Or is that this? Is this just what it's about? Moments like this that are fleeting and passing and then it's done and dusted? Can you identify with that sort of thing? You know, within us, there's this sense of, there should be something better. There's a longing for more. Now, I actually believe that 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 is implanted within us by God. To create within us a thirst for the best. And you know what the best is? Relationship with him and eternity with him. God has put that sense of discontentment within us so that we're longing for something that is better, something that is best. The reality, of course, is that more often or not, if we're honest, we can end up being disappointed with life. Sometimes, for example, you're thinking, well, if only I had a new job, life would be better. You know, this job isn't much good. I'll try and move on and get a new job. And you might be successful in doing that. And then you find that the new job is actually worse than the previous job. Or even on the new job, there's always a sense of maybe I should move on to another new job. Sometimes it's the idea, well, maybe if we we'll move house, if I could get out of this house and move on to another house, things might be better. And then, of course, you do move house and you find out that the new house has got problems just the way the old house did. And there's still a sense of this hasn't really solved that problem of, of that inner satisfaction that we're looking for. And maybe it's what I've already alluded to, you know, the next holiday will be better you know, you might have a great holiday. I have, I have a couple of friends, and before they go on holiday, they plan the subsequent holiday. Always with the idea of, when I come back from holiday, I'll be disappointed. I have to go back to work again, so it'll be great to have a holiday to look forward to. And that's how they go through their life. See some of you smiling. Maybe some of you folks do that as well. That idea of keep calm and plan the next holiday. That's without mentioning the difficulties of life that often come our way. You know, illness, bereavement, relationship breakdown, accidents, you know, the ugly stuff that life throws at us. And then, of course, it's not only the circumstances of life that disappoint us, it's often the people around us that disappoint us. You'll have heard the story of the man lying in bed at night and... He's lying there and he's quiet and he says to the wife, you see these folk that I work with, by the way, in the office? They're hard to get on with. Most of them, if I'm honest, are strange individuals. I don't find that easy. The wife says, yes, dear. A few minutes go past and he says, you know, when you think of it, you see the people living in this wee street where we live. When you think, I mean, take that man across the road. What is he like? I just can't stand it. And see that woman at the bottom of the road? She's always grumpy. I can't get on with her. Yes, dear. A few minutes goes past and he says, See your family, dear. See your mother. She's the most awkward woman. I mean, she's always trying to take control of our life. I I I don't find it easy to get on with your folks, you know. Your brother won't even begin talking about him. Yes, dear a few minutes goes past actually my own mother isn't that easy to get on with either and you see our kids I mean they're, they're great and I love them and all that but they're a bit ungrateful at times you know, I, sometimes they get up my nose if I'm honest yes dear and a few more minutes goes past and he says if I'm honest with you darling you're not the easiest person to live with At which stage she takes a pillow and tries to suffocate him. Now, joking aside, you'll you'll get the point. People around us sometimes are disappointments to us, if we're honest. Even the closest folk to us. But even even beyond that, we sometimes are a disappointment to ourselves, are we not? You know, if I'm honest, I'm not the husband I would like to be. Are you? I'm not the father. As I look back in my attempts at fatherhood, there's certain things I wish I could have done over again. Disappointed in some areas of my own parenthood. And the way I answer people from time to time, respond to people, leaves me disappointed. And I think, why did I say that? Why did I answer like that? Has that ever happened to you? You wish you could take the words back, you're disappointed. Or even the very thoughts that I have. I'm just glad you couldn't see them up on that screen. I'm disappointed even in the way I think. You know, life at times is a series of disappointments, if we're honest. Circumstances disappoint us. People disappoint us. We disappoint ourselves. However, I'm going to be arguing tonight that life in Christ the new life in Christ is the antidote to all of that. I think it was Kathy when she was getting baptized. I think Robert read to her a few verses from Psalm 25. The preceding verse to the ones that he read says this. It's a quotation from Scripture. No one who trusts in you will be disappointed. Folks, that is a promise from Scripture. Scripture. I have never met yet a person who has entrusted their life to Christ and walking with him who turns around and says, you know what, see this Christian life business? It's a bit of a disappointment. I've never met anybody like that. And this promise of Scripture is exactly what the psalmist says, no one who trusts in you will be disappointed. I'm going to read you a Bible passage just now. I'd like you to follow it. If you can, if you have scripture there with you, great. If not, just listen in. It's from John chapter 6, and Jesus is using an analogy here that talks about the fact that he can satisfy. You'll get it as we read it, okay? It's John chapter 6, and I'll just jump in at verse 32. The background to this is just uh, before this, Jesus has fed the 5,000. And then a crowd turn up to follow him, and he clocks it. You guys are following me, not because of the miraculous sign, but because you're wanting bread on the table. And then there's a whole discussion around that. So this is how it goes in verse 32. And he refers back to Moses way back in the Old Testament and how that God at the times of Moses fed the people in the desert with manna, this type of bread substance. So this is how the the discourse of Jesus goes. John chapter 6, verse 32. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given, that he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is, have you ever wondered what God's will is? Here's the answer. Jesus has given us the answer. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son, that's Jesus, and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise him up in the last day. God's will for you is that you believe and that you have eternal life. Let me just drop down the passage to verse 47. I tell you the truth, still Jesus speaking, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. Your forefathers ate the man in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So that's a reference to the time he was going to sacrifice himself on the cross so that we would be able to have life and life eternal. Verse 57, just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. I take it you get the analogy here. Jesus, bread of life or the living bread. That's the idea. Now, bread for us here in, in this part of the world has become sort of an optional extra to your menu. You know you go into these fancy restaurants and you get the, is it tapenade they call it? You know that stuff with the olive spread on it? Do you like that, George? Aye, I like it too. Or you get the bruschetta. You like that? Aye. But it's like a wee added extra to your meal, isn't it? In Jesus' day, If you didn't have bread, you didn't eat, you didn't live. No bread, no life. It was not an optional extra in a restaurant. Without it, without bread, there was a genuine risk that you'd die of hunger. No bread, no life. Now you get where Jesus is going with this? They would have clocked it immediately. No bread, I'm not going to be able to live. Jesus says, I'm the bread. And the analogy is this, if you don't have me, you're not going to live. Now, of course, he's not talking about physical life because they were alive physically. But he's talking about true spiritual life as God intended us to have. So when Jesus is saying that he is the bread of life or the living bread, what he is saying is this, I'm not an optional extra. I'm essential for life. You see, sometimes I think we treat God or Jesus like an optional extra. You know, you come into a moment of crisis in your life. God, help me. And there's a quick prayer, and the crisis passes, and that's it. You move on. Jesus is saying, I'm not an optional extra. I am essential to you having life. As bread feeds our body, so Jesus feeds our soul, our spirit. He alone satisfies Life is to be lived in relationship with Him. Life is to be lived sustained by Him. He satisfies where life doesn't satisfy. You remember I said at the start, life throws disappointments at us, difficulties at us. There's this inner longing for something better. Jesus steps in and says, I'm the bread of life, I satisfy. Get in contact with me. Get in relationship with me. Let me say this to you folks tonight. Life is far, far better with Jesus at the center of it. Do you get that? I'm not saying life's not without its difficulties because life is, while we're here on earth, we have difficulties. But life with Jesus is far, far better. You know why? That's how we were designed to live. We were designed to live not just for ourselves and what we can get out of life. We were designed to live in relationship with the Creator. And that's what Jesus came to do, reestablish our links with our Creator. And that's the new life that baptism represents. In a sense, it's a rediscovery of life as it was meant to be. Way back at the start, God designed human beings to be in relationship with him. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, as these ladies have done, you get back in sync with God as you were actually designed to be. When you're not living in relationship with God, you're living out of sync with your creator and life isn't as it was meant to be. Jesus goes on to talk more about this later on in John's Gospel. And he says that I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Do you get that? Abundant life is how some of their translations describe it. Folks, Jesus Christ doesn't want to ruin your life. He wants to give you the absolute best in life. Jesus and living in relationship with him is life. He is the bread of life. My encouragement to you tonight is feed on Him. Get your sustenance from Him. Live life connected to Him in relationship to Him. Anyone who comes to Him will find fullness of life. And that's what these baptismal candidates have declared tonight. They are saying with this, that they recognize their own inability to fix their own sinful situation of spiritual death. Because the opposite to life is death. And the Bible says that if we don't know Christ, we are dead in our sins. Now, we're physically alive, we're emotionally alive, we're psychologically alive, but we're spiritually dead. We're disconnected from God. God. And when you come to trust in Christ, as these ladies have done, you will live forever. You're reconnected with God as you were originally designed to be. Let me ask you a question. Do you recognize that in your own life? Or have you ever in your life recognized, you know what, I'm dead spiritually. Yes, I exist I go to work, I plan my holidays, I move house, I bring up the kids, I go through the motions, but spiritually, I'm dead. Have you ever got to that point? And then the next step is saying, Father God, because Jesus died, it means that my death has died with him, and I can reconnect with his resurrected life. That's what this imagery is all about. Spiritual death of our old self and resurrected life as you come into relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the bread of life. That's the spiritual sustenance that is the antidote to the disappointments of life. Now, you might be saying to yourself, That sounds great. How do you actually do that? How do you actually come connected with Christ? How do you feed on Christ? How do you get into a relationship with him? Well, you know, I think that's just by a simple prayer of invitation. It's interesting because one of the verses that we read in that chapter, I don't know if you picked it up as I read it, was Jesus said, Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. And I find it interesting that Christ uses that verb, to come. He uses that often in the, in, in, in the Gospels. Come to me, all who labor or heavy laden, struggling with the disappointments of life, and I will give you rest. I told you I had five grown-up children. They have then produced children of their own. So I've got 14 grandchildren, a young fellow like me. Now, I know you're going to find that very hard to believe. But over the years, I've had the joy, as you will if you're a parent, you'll identify with this, of watching them learn to walk. Not all of them, but most of them I've seen taking their first steps. And you, you remember how that works. You know, they, they get a bit steady on their feet. And then when you're thinking they're near the stage, they're going to take their first steps. At least the way we did it in our house. Now, imagine you did, you did it too if you've been a parent. is You sort of you sit down in the middle of the floor. You prop them up with their backs to the settee. You know, they're standing there with their backs to the settee. And you kneel, or you're, you're back just a wee bit in the middle of the floor. What do you say to them? What do you say to them? Come they're not even a toddler yet, but they understand that simple verb, come. And what do they do? They take a step of faith. Now that is what a one-year-old can understand. That's why I think it's interesting that Jesus uses exactly the same idea when he talks about coming into relationship with himself. He says, come, take a step of faith. How you actually do that is simply talk to the Lord. You might like to pray like this. Now, you don't have to say these words. This isn't a formula, right? But the idea, the concept here is helpful, I think. You might like to say something like this. Now, this is between you and the Lord, right? There's nothing to do between you and me or you and the church at the Crescent or the elders here. This would be a personal one-to-one you and the Lord. But sometimes people say, how do you actually do it? Well, something along these lines, it doesn't have to be these exact words by any stretch of the imagination, but this idea, Father God, thank you that when your son Jesus died on the cross, he died for me and my sins. Make it personal. He took my death. He died in my place. I turn from that sin. There needs to be that conversion thing. There needs to be a turning away from sin and turning to Jesus. I turn from my sin and I place my faith in you, Lord. I trust you because I can't do this on my own. Thank you that from here on in, my life is the new, eternal, abundant life that Jesus promises. Is that hard? In one sense it's not. It's a straightforward prayer inviting Christ into your life. In the other sense it is difficult because it's going to change your life forever and it means leaving your old lifestyle and coming into a new lifestyle. But you know what? You're passing from death to life. You're passing from mere existence to living as you were designed to live. Would you not do that this evening? I'll tell you this. If you do it, you won't regret it. I'm just going to leave a moment or two of silence for reflection now. Leave that prayer up on the screen. As I say, you don't need to use those particular words, but that, those ideas, that, that, that concept that's there. And in these moments of reflection, if you're at that point tonight of wanting to come to Christ and, re, and, and enter the new life that he offers. Then in these moments of silence, in the quietness of your own heart, come to Christ. I'll leave a few moments of silence for you to reflect on that, and then I'll pray, and then hand back to George. Lord, we do recognize that often there are huge disappointments in life, and even within our own hearts and minds at times, There's a longing for something more than just existing. And we thank you that Jesus has come to give life abundant, everlasting, life to the full. Lord, our prayer is that each of us in this church building tonight would have made that step of faith, just as a child takes a step towards their parent, that each of us in this room, in this church building, whether it be tonight or in the past, but that step of faith would have been taken of just coming to Christ, leaving our sinful past, and receiving Christ as Savior and Lord. May that be the case for your honor and glory and for the blessing of those who take that step. Amen.